at least for this final time in this particular series, and we'll be opening once more to the book of Philippians. We'll look at the very final verses of the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, and making our way down to verse 23. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, and making his way down to verse 23. And gentlemen, just got to push number 3 on the, on the display there. But Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse, chapter 4, verse 21. And, and even as before I read that, I want to, just as a side, I think it's an important one though, a side note as we come together to this. One of the commitments that we make as a ministry, and an important one, is that we preach verse by verse through the Bibles. Now, uh, when we say that, what we mean is the fancy word expositional. We're just going through the Bible and we let the Bible dictate what passages come next. Now, there's some real beauty to that. I think that's the way God intended His Word to be preached, and I think that's the way God intended His messengers to convey it. And, uh, but the other, there is challenge to that as well, and uh, these verses are indicators of that challenge. If I were to just pick a passage every Sunday and just kind of popcorn myself and our way through the Bible, uh, I would probably do as many have done before and pick those passages that jump off the page, right? Uh, maybe those famous verses, maybe even like ones we looked at last week in verse 19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Those are just kind of the major verses. And maybe you even go through the major themes. And if you go to church enough, you'll hear those verses preached often and you'll hear those stories often referenced. But... I probably would not, if I popcorned my way through the Bible, choose verses like the ones we're going to look at tonight, because they don't necessarily jump off the page, right? They're not, we wouldn't say, teaching some major doctrine that we hang our hats on, though there is important truths there, and there is doctrine there. They're not ones that you'd quote to give encouragement to someone all the time. They're maybe not ones that everybody has memorized in the back of their hat somewhere. They're just kind of the leftovers. That's at least how we view them. Now, I know we shouldn't view them that way, and you're saying, I can't believe you're acknowledging that that's true, but I think it's right to at least acknowledge that that's true when it comes to the Scripture reading, and certainly when it comes to most scriptural preaching. These verses, these three verses, are often overlooked, but that gives great detriment to the church when we overlook verses. And even just in the context of the book of Philippians, if we were to just leave off where we left off last week, as encouraging as that may have been, if we leave off, we will miss something pretty monumental about the author of this book and what he's teaching us by way of even example. So help me out as we come to these verses. Who wrote this book? Paul. What do we know about Paul? So what are some things that you already know to be true about Paul, both from Philippians and just from truth that you know to be true about Paul? He was a Pharisee. We certainly saw that even in Philippians. What are some of the things that we know to be true about Paul? He's a prisoner at this point as he's writing this book in Philippians, or to the Philippians. He's in Rome, right? To the Philippians. What are some other ones that we know to be true about Paul? He started out persecuting Christians, and then there was a change on the road to Damascus. What are some other things that we know to be true about Paul? He has a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is. We, he has a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is, but he talks about a thorn in the flesh in one of his letters. 
Or some other things that we know to be true about Paul. He was an apostle. He was an apostle. What's that? So, he was a Roman citizen. He was a mentor to Timothy. All of these things work their way into our lives. We understand him. But there's, there's something I want you to keep in mind. Paul was a powerfully influential person already at the point when he's writing the book in Philippians, to the Philippians. When the church looked to people to, to give guidance and counsel, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a monumentally authoritative figure in the church at this point. Most of them knew his testimony. Most of them knew him personally. He was a very influential figure in the Philippian church. And, and even based on other things that you mentioned, the other thing that we know about Paul is Paul, based on some of the things you mentioned, you could agree, was a deep thinker. God had obviously gifted Paul with a credible intellect. And we even see that as we read his epistles. And I even shuddered to do Philippians as we began it because I knew we had done James this way before. And I knew Paul's books are harder to work their way through just because of how deep Paul is. Paul was incredibly gifted intellectually. And more than that, someone mentioned he was a Roman citizen. And that is true as well. Bob mentioned that. So Paul is influential in the church, but Paul also had some credibility in the community that both by his being a Roman citizen and his being a Pharisee of the Pharisees that kind of heightened people's senses of who he was. And there was one other thing that Paul was. He was a student of, anybody remember? Gamaliel, which would have given great credibility in the minds of the religious elite of that day. Paul wasn't just one of the religious elite, you understand. Paul would have been the elite of the elite. So Paul is a giant. That's kind of how you view it. Paul is, I guess we could say, one of the first Christian celebrities, if you want to use it that way. Paul is a big deal. But as we read these verses, we know that Paul is not merely a brilliant intellect and a towering individual. He is that. But Paul is not merely a powerful preacher and a pioneer minister. He is all of those things. Paul is a very loving man, full of warm affection for others. I, I, I remember preaching, when I used to travel around and preach at various churches, I think one of the most stunning churches that I went in, at least in practice, what they did, is uh, all of the, the pastors, they had quite a staff on there, and then the guest speaker, wouldn't come out, on, like on a Sunday morning, you can imagine everybody's filling in, and they wouldn't come out, there would be like chairs up here, I refer to them as pastor thrones, and uh, they would come out, and they wouldn't come out for the service until minutes before And then we would all march out in a line and sit there and kind of look at everybody else. It was just really awkward. And there was a definite distance between the people in the pews and the people preaching or the pastor himself. And and I came to realize that that was just common practice. I mean, the pastor would preach, and you wouldn't hear from him other than the sermon. And then he would leave, and he didn't shake anybody's hands. He was just distant from his congregation. i use that example because that's a bad example. And that is definitely not Paul. Paul could have easily said, everybody wants my attention, 
I'm a domineering figure, I'm, a, I'm a intellectually smarter than you all, I've got better credibility than you all, I'm a Roman citizen. All of those things are true of Paul, but Paul was warm and tender and caring and loving. And he highlights that even as he ends his book. Look at the end of his book. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Paul is a warm-hearted man who cared deeply for other people. Paul talked to other people. Paul reached out to other people. Paul expressed his expressions for other people. Bottom line, Paul genuinely cared for individuals. Now, here's an interesting anecdote before we even pick this up. And, and I want to write, you can kind of think with me for a moment. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to kind of, maybe you're going to rifle through some of the epistles because I want to show you something. In each of the end of the epistles, you'll see something happening that's even happening here. It is quite probable that Paul, as he finishes out this letter, these final verses were written with his own hand. Now, this is different than what was happening before. In most of his letters, Paul would have dictated his letters to someone else who would have been writing for him. Now, this is especially certain in the book of Philippians and the other prison epistles, because Paul would have been under house arrest, chained to a guard on either side. Others speculate that the thorn in the flesh, as Lyndon mentioned, may have been an eyesight problem, though we don't know what it was, but they make that speculation because Paul indicates in several of his letters that he dictated these letters to someone else to write to him. And they say, for example, in the book of Galatians, that Paul wrote, Paul says in Galatians 4, verse 18, if you want to note that, Galatians 4, verse 18, I, Paul, write this with mine own hand, remember mine imprisonment. He talks about that, that was rather Colossians 4, verse 18. Or Galatians, I can write some of these down, I probably should, so you can get these down. If you want to get this one, um, in, in Galatians, uh, chapter Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, is one of those that notes that. He says, see what large letters I use to write to you. That's Galatians 6, verse 11. So Paul is writing with these large letters. And in 2 Thessalonians, he says, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17, if you want to look at that in your Bibles, it says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So he's making a point of saying, I'm writing this down with my own hand. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 21, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. We have 13 epistles in the New Testament that Paul wrote. And he says in every letter that he gives a distinguishing mark at the conclusion of his letters to say, I write this with my own hand. Uh, Galatians 6 verse 11, I already gave it to you, but Colossians is another one. Colossians chapter 4 verse 18, where he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand, remember my imprisonment. And there is a strong likelihood that as Paul writes out this final three verses, these final three verses are actually written by his own hand. Now, I wish I had pulled it up on the screen, but you'll have to, I'll try to describe it for you. Because I was talking with this with Pastor Aaron today, and one of his professors in seminary had done a big study on Paul writing with his own hand the end of his letters. 
And they have actually recently discovered a fragment of a Greek manuscript, not the Bible, but a fragment of a Greek manuscript, a letter written by a a wealthy dignitary of that time, a, a portion of that fragment written around the same time as Paul wrote some of these epistles. And they have that. It's actually, I believe, at the Museum of the Bible now on display. And uh, in that portion, it doesn't at the Bible at all, and you say, why is that significant? You can see the Greek writings of someone dictating it to someone who has beautiful, perfect handwriting, and then you can see in that fragment the concluding greeting at the end with big, scrawling letters written by the person who had been dictating it to the other person to write it down. So this was a common practice of that time. So this comes, you want to visualize something. We're going to pick apart this passage for a moment, but this is pretty cool. So you get the letter. You put on your uh, first century sandals for a moment, all right? (laughs) And you're in Philippi, and you get this letter, and you have received and read other letters from Paul, and you would have been familiar with Paul, and you're reading this beautifully scribed, dictated letter. You come to the end three verses, though there weren't verses at the time, but the last phrases here, And it is scrawled out with Paul's own handwriting. Why is he making the point of switching from dictation to now scrawling this out with his own handwriting? What is he communicating? Authenticity is definitely a major contributor. I am writing this. This is authentically mine. You can see my own handwriting. But there's another reason. The guy that was scribing for me uh, passed out. <laughs> could have been that, right? But given that he does this in all 13 of his passes, it wasn't that one, but that could be a speculative option. If you didn't hear, he said the guy who was dictating maybe just passed out, right? What's that? Make it personal, right? If I sent you a letter today, a typed out letter on, you know, church fancy letterhead, we have all that, you know, the fancy paper, you got all the signature at the end. Now that's something. that You know, it's communicated. But it's not personal. If I pull out, and we have those in the church, a card and write out with my own hand something to you, even if it's shorter than the typed written letter, somehow that with my own hand is more personal, isn't it? It's more personal. This is what Paul's doing. As Paul ends his letter to the Philippians, this is a personal note to people that he loved. And these three verses are one way of Paul showing out how to live to the glory of God. Notice with me in chapter, or we pick this out part, we will in a second, verse 20. This is as he said right before it. He says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever Amen. And what Paul does now is he's going to show you how to live out the glory of God. And one of the ways that you can live out the glory of God is to do what Paul is going to show us is happening in verses 21 through 25, or 21 through 23. To our God and Father be glory. In practical living, if you want to practically live to the glory of God, that's a vertical relationship. How do I practically live to the glory of God? The first thing he shows us is you live it with this horizontal love for one another. Can you think of any verses that say 
that I will show God to others by my love for brothers and sisters. You don't have to know the reference, but can anybody think of a verse that says that? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How do they know? By your love for one another. This is a practical way to live for the glory of God is your horizontal relationships with others. It would be meaningless to say you are living for the glory of God and not have a good, loving relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. It would just, it would be meaningless. So no, there's a repeated word that Paul uses, and I want to highlight it for you even as we start it. There's a repeated word that Paul uses, and he uses it three times in these verses. Verse 21, he uses the word greet right there at the beginning of the verse. He uses the word greet at the end of the verse. And verse 22, he uses the word greet. And uh, there's actually a third kind of greeting when he says, especially those who are of Caesar's household, that's a fourth greeting. So there's two verses, three times he uses the word greet. There's a fourth kind of greeting that comes together. So we can say there's a fourfold greeting. And we're going to break those together uh, apart, and let's going to look at those together. So let's, let's look at the fourfold greeting that Paul gives. And let's start with greeting, greeting number one. Greeting number one. And greeting number one is Paul to the Philippians. Greeting number one is Paul to the Philippians. And we see it in verse 21. He says, as he gives them his first real greeting. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. This is Paul making a greeting to the Philippians. And he says, as we've already noted, he uses the word greet, which is implied to every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, before we go any further, when Paul says every, who is he talking about? He is talking about believers but we got to look at context to inform it, so I could ask a question. Is he talking about everybody, everywhere on the face of the earth? No. no. He's talking about what group? Believers in Philippi. So greet all the believers in Philippi, and he uses the expression, greet. He uses the expression, greet. And uh, I'm going to pull that up on the screen for you. And there's the, there's the word, greet. Uh, in in the the Greek there, and it means embracing, you could say, that this this word could mean embracing. Oh, I probably should change that there. Uh, It means embracing, could be a definition for this word. In Greek, you could say embrace. It could mean offering the hand, right? Offering the hand as if to shake a hand. It, It could be an expression of affection, Expression of affection. It's also the same word that's referred to, I'll put it down here, is a holy kiss. We read about that in in other passages of the Bible. That's what this word greet means. Uh, the, The word greet, this word, this Greek word, is used 47 times in the epistles. And it means more than hello, right? It doesn't just mean, hey, how you doing? Actually, I got a new cool program for my for pastor's appreciation called Logos. And so I, I, I can show you this is the cool chart that it gives you. 
All right, there's the word, and uh, it gives you how many, it's been used 47 times, or 59 times, I should say. It's been used 59 times. You can see that on the, on the screen over here on the side. And it shows you how many different ways it's translated, and the majority of those usage is are greet, greeted, or greeting. And there's also, you can, you can see it used as salute, or even farewell is used a handful of those 59 times. I thought that was a cool wheel. I might show them sometimes now that I have that program that was given to me. But the idea is more than hello. This is not just, hey, how are you doing? Right? This is an expression of, of, of love. In fact, some translations actually include the word salute, as, as far even the King James in 1900 translation of the King James, because there is more than one translation of the King James, uh, uses the word salute there uh, instead of greet. But that's the idea. It's more than just, hey, how are you doing? Right? This is an affection. And so Paul wants the believers to understand that there's an affection used. And, and Paul will use it the same way. If you have your Bibles, uh, you might want to come to and look at Romans, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Romans chapter 6, verse 11, he uses the word, the same word. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss, right? This was an expression of, of uh, especially precious for new believers, now, this is why this is so important. This is the church of Philippi. What's going on? Was, I have the wrong reference. All right, you have to look up that reference later because I have 611 in my notes and that's not the right one. You can at least Google the phrase and you'll get the right reference. Why is this so important for new believers, do you think? All right, you've got to strap on your Philippi sandals for a moment. What's happening when someone converts to Christianity at that time in that city? What's, there's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of persecution. So if they greet them kind of physically with a, a hug or a, a real affection mm -hmm. that shows they really are Christians and they're not yeah. believe or, or they realize what this person Absolutely. is believing. In many of these cases, these are Jewish converts at, the first, at, at first. And when they are converting to Christianity, one of the things that they are doing is they are rejecting the Judaism that their family has been embracing. You got it? Romans 6.16. 6, there you go. Romans 6.16. 6, there you go. 16.16? 6, 16. 16, 16. All right. 16, 16. There you go. I added the one there. 16.16. 16. Romans 16.16. 16. They convert, as I was saying, to Christianity. They are leaving behind Judaism. They are embracing Christianity this means something to their family. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. There, there was a man I know in India, and he was, he was a wonderful man. He's still alive. His name is G.S. Nair, and uh, he goes by G.S. because his first two names are Hindi God, her Hindu gods. And uh, he was in the, in the Nair family, which is a high-class family over there, and uh, he was in the military. He contracted malaria, and he got sent to... Uh, missions hospital because it was the only one that was had the medicine to help with malaria and while there he was already very well educated so he was stuck in a hospital bed he decided he's going to study God's word to convince the Christians why they were wrong and so he studied God's word and he got saved that's, that's what ended up happening he got he got converted to Christ and he wrote home to his family saying that he converted to Christianity and the response of his family would have been the response that some of these Philippians would have had. 
The response to his family was, quite literally, they printed his obituary in the local newspaper. He was dead to them. Now, G.S. Norrie got called to preach. He went to the ministry. He trained in the ministry. He has planted over 70 churches in India. Five years ago, my, or more than that now, my dad went to India, was preaching with him, and his mom came to Christ at that meeting, which was pretty awesome. But G.S. Nair experienced what these Philippians would have experienced. So why is this kind of greeting, with that in mind, so important? This is a family greeting. This is a new family that they have. This is, this is special. This is very intimate. And Paul is part of that family. You can think of Paul as like the spiritual father on earth right now to them. They love this man. He loves them. So Paul is saying, greet them. And when he says every, Paul is doing something. When Paul uses this word every here, this word every really is meant to underscore as commentators know, it underscores individuals. It underscores individuals. Paul could have used the word in the Greek that should have easily, more easily been translated, greet all those. But Paul chooses carefully his words, and he chooses to use the word that's now translated every, and what he's communicating is you and you and you. It's as if he's calling each one by name. He could have just said all y'all collectively. (laughs) He's individually, I want to greet each one. And he talks about greet every, greet every saint, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And the word saint is used synonymously with what? What is he talking about? When he says they're saints, who's he talking about? He's talking about believers. That's exactly right. He's talking about believers, and, and here's another cool chart. There's the, here's the Greek word for, that's translated saint, and thank you for that program, because it gives us this idea. It's the Greek word hagios, which means holy or holy one. It could be translated set apart ones. So every true believer has been set apart for what purpose? So he's saying, greet each individual who has been set apart. Ask two questions. Who set them apart? God did. For what purpose? To glorify him. Again, using the same definition as Paul just used, remember, he's already just talked about glorifying in verse 20. Greet every individual who's been set apart to the glory of God that I just talked about in verse 20. So this is Paul's Greeting, and he says it's in Christ Jesus, and and this preposition, this preposition in, if I can try to highlight it there, the preposition in denotes a fixed position. In is a uh, we could say a fixed position. In Christ Jesus, you've been placed there permanently. So Paul's example is serving as an example to us in our Christian lives. We should have an open-hearted open-armed love to one another. We should be showing to others in the family of God our love. Affectionate or affectionate Christianity, one person said, is effective Christianity. That's what Paul has. So this is greeting number one. Greeting number one is Paul's greeting to those in Philippi. But I want you to notice greeting number two because it builds 
pretty strongly of what we just read of Paul. Greeting number two is though are those with Paul. And they are also greeting those in Philippi. He says, the brothers who are with me, he says, let me make sure I get this one highlighted there, the brothers who are with me greet you as well. So not only am I going to greet you, but the brothers who are with me are with you as well. No doubt Paul's love for the Philippians is contagious. Paul is presently under house arrest, but he's still allowed to receive visitors. And we do know, even in this book, of at least two who are there. You've got to think, two people in the book of Philippians that Paul has already mentioned have been with him in his present situation. Epaphroditus, chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. We know Epaphroditus would have been one of those. Timothy, Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 through 24, would another. So at least, we know of at least Timothy and Epaphroditus are those brothers. So those brothers who are with me, who are those brothers who are with me? Well, we know one of them is Timothy. We saw that in chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. And another one of those is Epaphroditus. We saw that in chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. I heard Silas and others. Those are referenced in others' epistles. I've heard some commentators count as many as five that were named that would have been there. At least in this book, we can say for certain, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And these men are influenced by Paul in how they talk about other people. If Paul had been down and negative about the Philippians, you better believe that would have rubbed off on them. But Paul wasn't down and negative about the Philippians, even though there were problems at home in Philippi. We read about them in chapter 2. Remember the beginning of chapter 2? There were those that were warring and clamoring because they, they wanted more accolades than Paul and so on. But Paul, even in that, is not down in the mouth about these individuals. Paul loved and had an affection for them. Here's a pretty awesome application then. We need to be with other Christians who are positive in their love for other Christians. When we are encircled by those who are nitpicking, fault-finding, and tearing down of others, it will negatively impact our perspectives of others. We will be jilted in our perspectives towards other believers. Paul was none of that. How can I know? Look at the influence he has on these brothers. I greet you. It's the same word, by the way. Notice it's the, it's the same word, greet. And they greet you. So greeting number one, Paul to the Philippians. Greeting number two, those presently with Paul to the Philippians. And greeting number three, help me out. Who, who else is writing and who else wants to talk about uh, greeting Number three. Caesar's household. Caesar's household. Hold on, I'm going to save for the fourth group. There's a group right before Caesar's household. All the saints. saints. So who are all the saints? All the saints all over the world? Who are the all? And, And we should highlight that so you understand. We're talking about this section right here. All the saints greet you. Who are the all that Paul is referring to. Maybe the guards that accepted Christianity, but they 
It could have been all those. It's exactly right. All is not just a reference to those in his house, immediately context his house where he's under house arrest, because he just referenced those in verse 21. So it can't be that group. All is not referencing every believer on the face of the earth. That would be too wide a group. The context here is Paul's imprisonment in Rome. So clearly Paul is influential enough in Rome that Paul is speaking on behalf of the other believers in Rome. So he's saying all the believers. So now the greeting number three is from Rome. From Rome, or the believers in Rome, you could say, to the Philippians. Notice the rubbing off. I just want to notice how the circle is expanding. Okay? You can say, Here, here's Paul, all right, in his prison cell. And he influences, uh, we can say, here's a Timothy over here, and here's Epaphroditus over here, and he influences his immediate circle. But that influence has now grown to the point where now we have all Rome out here, and they are also influenced by the same thinking about believers that Paul is having. This is a wonderful demonstration of Christian love. There's this expansion that goes beyond the bounds of normal human relationships. And Paul has already exemplified that in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Come with me to Romans chapter 16 if you have your Bibles. I won't put it on the screen. Romans chapter 16. Paul is going to, in verse 16, verse chapter 1, Paul is going to send some personal greetings to these people, and he's going to name them. And what's really significant about the people that he is naming as he writes Romans 16 is that Paul has not personally been with them yet. So he's heard about them. He's heard about their work in the ministry. He has not yet physically, we could say, shaken their hands. And yet notice what he does, beginning in verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca, not all of these people as he met. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So he's met those people. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apenetus. Some of these names are harder than others to pronounce. (laughs) Who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. So now these are folks, it seems, he has not yet met. He he knows about Mary. He hasn't met her. Greet Andronicus and Junea, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. He knows them. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys, greet Epilus, and, and on and on. I won't try to say all of these names, but you can glance down at these, and Paul is giving these personal greetings. These are not just numbers in the pew to him, are they? I mean, he, he cares about these people. He loves these people. And in this passage, Paul goes through an extraordinary list of names, and every one of these names are very special to Paul. 
And Paul wrote these names that we just read in Romans 16, not all of them that we just read, but all of them in that passage. He wrote these names some three to four years before he wrote the book of Philippians. So this ending that you're now seeing, this, this circle that I just drew, where Paul loves everybody, and then it rubs off on Paul and or Epaphroditus and Timothy, and then it rubs off to the people in Rome as well, it's been going on for a while. I mean, they've read this three to four years ago. Romans 16, verse 16, he ends this in that same passage, and now we actually have the right one, right? Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I mean, this is, this is pretty significant. I pray that God would enlarge our tenderheartedness towards one another, that we would have that. But there's a, there's a fourth group that may have been the most stunning of all the groups that Linda already mentioned, and she's right. And this would have been the, probably the most stunning of the groups to, to be getting a greeting from. Greeting number four, here we have the, the people in Caesar's household. This greeting number four is the people in Caesar's household, and they are also going to greet the people in Philippi. He says, especially those of Caesar's household, greeting number four. Now, this is another extended circle of influence, right? We could put our same chart up on the screen that I just erased. We got Paul, we got Timothy and Paphroditus. It's not that all surprising that those close to Paul are influenced by Paul. The believers in Rome, that's, again, that's not, it is, I mean, it's getting bigger, but this group as well, Now, who are those in Caesar's household? These are likely those converts who are serving in Caesar's house. Paul is emphasizing something. Even in the realms of darkness, such as the darkness of the Roman Empire, the gospel works. And this represents, this Caesar's household represents a large group. This is not just Caesar's family. Here's what one commentator said. This is commentator, he says, this is who includes is in Caesar's household. This would have included slaves, freed slaves, cooks, food tasters, uh, inventors, custodians, builders, stablemen, accountants, soldiers, guards, judges, messengers, and heralds. That's what would have been included in Caesar's household. It's not just a small group. Here's what I want you to notice. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. I'll put it on the screen. It says, For I am suffering. This is Paul. This is where Paul was in 2 Timothy. This is where Paul was in Philippi. I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Here is Paul in jail and the influence is going into Caesar's house. How did it get there? How did the influence of the word of God, the ministry of Paul, reach into Caesar's house? Exactly. The guards. We actually have our answer in the book of Philippians. 
that you come back to the chapter 2 in the book of Philippians, you see Paul mentioning that he is glad for his bonds because as a result of his bonds, those in Philippi have stepped up and they have taken on the mantle of ministry that otherwise they may not have in Paul's presence, but in his absence they have stepped up. And he also rejoices that the guards have all, he mentions by, specifically in chapter 2, that now all of the guards have received Christ, or heard of Christ. So how did the gospel worm its way into Caesar's household? Word of mouth. <laughs> What's that? Paul was preaching to him. I mean, at, at the very least, if he's, again, let's harken back to our beginning introductions, right? So these last phrases are written by his hand. The other portions of the book were dictated. I'm sorry, but it's pretty obvious who was eavesdropping. <laughs> At times the guards were as well. Any conversation Paul had? Just through regular ministry and the, one of the most profound ministries of the gospel that Paul has to these soldiers is his overwhelming love for these people. I mean, even before he gets to the point where he closes this letter with this way, there had to have been this kind of a conversation we can speculate for a moment, which can get dangerous, right? You could be asking, why take the time to write to Philippi? Right? You're talking to Paul. Paul's in jail. Why take the time to write this to the people in Philippi? You know what he would answer? (laughs) There's nothing else to do. But what would he answer? What's his real, what is his, what is the motivating heart of Paul to these people? Yeah. But as Peggy just mentioned, he cares about them. He deeply cares about them. If they're struggling in, in, a, in, a, in a wrong doctrine, is Paul coming up to them and, and beating them over the head? You bunch of fools, I told you, you should know better, right? That's not Paul's heart. Will he correct it? Yeah, he will correct it. What's his heart in that correction? Love. If he's got a discouraged brother or sister over here, it's not like he comes over to him and says, hey, I already wrote to you about the joy of the Lord. Come on, you know, buck up, Skippy. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Now, is he going to correct them? Yeah, but what's what's his heart? He loves them. And everything in between, he cares about this new family of God. Listen, if you are in Caesar's household, if you're a guard and you see that kind of a relationship, aren't you going to start asking a little bit, like, what exactly do you have going on that we don't have going on? What is so unique about your Christian brotherhood that in the middle of your bonds, in the middle of your hunger, you are thinking about other people more than your own hardships? What is that? Can you tell me more? So let's hearken all the way full circle to the beginning of the message. And here's what he says. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And to that I'd say as we end, I think this is Paul's prayer both for them and no doubt something that he's learning as well. Because Paul doesn't know where the road is going to end. For all accounts, this is Paul's, 
you know, last will and testament. He's in prison, he's facing arrest, he's facing judgment, he's facing the possibility of beheading. There have already been other Christians who have been beheaded for, for things. Paul's aware of that. But the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So let me ask you, as we, we get into the missions month and we, we think about even an evangelism seminar, which is wonderful. Do you know, friend, probably your, your greatest gospel witness is your love for brothers and sisters in the family of God. That is profound. It's profoundly unworldly, and it's otherworldly. It's a love that pours out for someone who really understands, and notice the result. You might say, well, I don't have, I don't have that. Like, I, I wish I was surrounded with people that loved like Paul. It starts with you. Paul wished at times he was surrounded by people that had that love. Do you remember Paul's first conversion days in the church? Do you remember the warm embrace he got from the church? <laughs> what happened in that time? What was the warm embrace that Paul received from the church? What did he have to do? Anybody remember? They didn't accept him. They didn't accept him. <laughs> remember him getting lowered out of a basket, out of the side of the, 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 uh, the city there because he had nowhere that the Christians would kind of keep him safe and now the Pharisees didn't like him either. He was like a man without a country for a time. Paul didn't have what he is now demonstrating and he's not embittered about it, is he? He still loves these folks. He cares about them. And notice the result, like just the, the tremors that he just shakes it all up with. If we could have someone, one man, one woman, if you could say, I, I wish I had some people like that, it doesn't matter what they're doing. It starts with you. If you can have that kind of love, notice the rub-off effect. It started with those close to Paul. It spread to those within the city. It spread to those now even to the most, we would say, darkest corners like the Roman house of Caesar. All because one man said, I love, I love my brothers and sisters. So aren't you glad we didn't skip verses? <laughs> if I was just preaching through verses of the Bible, I don't know if these verses would stand out to me like verse 19 of chapter 4. But there's some pretty awesome practical truth that's right there at the end of the verse. Questions, comments, dialogue. Bob? Yes. Not your circumstances. That's right. Not what you're going through. Yeah. But in the spirit. That's right. Yeah, I agree with you. If you didn't hear, he said, I think it's significant that Paul said, he, he didn't say, uh, he, or it's significant that he said, the grace of God be with your spirit, not your circumstances or whatever else might be going on, but with your spirit. I agree. That is very significant. Other questions and comments and discussion? Well, I hope you've enjoyed the book of Philippians as much as I have. I didn't count how many messages it took us to get through this, but we got through it together. We'll be in 2 Peter, not this coming Wednesday. This coming Wednesday, again, is our finale of our missions conference, and we have right before that our international dinner, and I trust you'll be able to join us for that. But the week after that, we'll be in 2 Peter together. And I don't think it will take us as long as Philippians, because it's shorter than Philippians, so that just can't possibly take as long. 
All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity it is, and has been, to go through the book of Philippians. And Lord, as we conclude this evening uh, with these final verses, we're encouraged by Paul to show love for the brothers and sisters in Christ that are gathered around us. And Lord, may we have the same kind of love for the family of God that's so clearly exhibited by Paul here. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed this evening.